Brothers and sisters, it's wonderful to be with you again. It's been uh, a couple of Sundays since I've been in the pulpit. And, of course, we were gone last week. And I was sent an email out about that. And I'm sure most of you saw it. And we appreciate your uh, prayers and love and support. But it is wonderful to be back with you this morning. And it's especially wonderful because it's the month we get to sing A Mighty Fortress every Sunday. <laughs> we won't really. Glenn just said, wow. We're not really. <laughs> We're not really going to do that. But we'll sing it at least, you know, a couple times. Because it's October. It's Reformation Month. It's our favorite month on the calendar. It's when we get to remember and we get to recall and celebrate why we are Protestant. Why we hold to the faith the way that we do. This is, what, this is part of what makes us who we are at our core. October is Reformation Month, and so I, I especially love it when October has five Sundays in it, like it does this year, because that means we get to cover all five of the solas of the Reformation in one month, culminating on Reformation Sunday at the end. And that is what we're going to do. I'm doing a series on the five solas of the Reformation, one for each Sunday. And here's my goal with this series. I want to summarize each of the five solas, one per week, Lord willing, as an explanation in a succinct, you know, single sermon form, a succinct explanation for why we are Protestant. Have you ever considered why you're Protestant? I wonder if you've ever asked yourself that question. You know, why am I sitting in a Protestant church today instead of a Roman Catholic church, an Eastern Orthodox church, a Mormon church, Jehovah's Witness church? I mean, there are so many other places you could be sitting. I don't just mean other Presbyterian churches, but other whole branches of the big Christian family tree. Why are you in a Protestant church? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Well, this, this week, uh, I wrote uh, an article for our monthly newsletter, the October newsletter. And it's the pastor's pen article on the, on the front page. And this week, I raised this question to challenge us to think about that. Why are you Protestant? Now, in that article, I mentioned there are two very bad reasons to be Protestant. One of them is, well, I'll just say both of them. The two bad reasons to be Protestant is to be a Protestant of comfort and a Protestant of convenience. Well, I just don't. I just don't like all the all the funny clothes they wear in a Catholic church. So that's why I'm not Catholic. Or I just don't like all the. I don't like the Pope, so I'm not. I'm not Catholic. I'm. I'm. I don't like the way they worship. I don't like the high mass and all this. I. I just like simple, old. What I'm used to. It's more comfortable to be a Protestant. Or it's just more convenient. Let's face it. If you're Catholic, there's a lot of other stuff you got to do, and you just don't want to be bothered with the extra stuff. So it's just more convenient, or it's, more pre it's just preference, and it's just taste. 
But those are bad reasons to be Catholic. I mean, maybe those are your reasons. Okay, fine. But those aren't good reasons to be Catholic because those things don't make them wrong. (laughs) Just because you don't like it or aren't comfortable with it or it's not convenient doesn't make them wrong. In other words, you want to be a Protestant out of conviction. You want to be a Protestant out of conviction. You want to have the conviction to be convinced in your mind that I'm here as a Protestant because this is true and it's from the Lord. Because if it's not true, then I should get over my my comfort and convenience concerns and I should go be where the true church is. That's an argument that's been going on since the 16th century, since the Reformation began. And what I want to help us do is to think about being Protestants of conviction. People who understand that the faith as we hold it is the true biblical form of the faith. Not perfect, not (laughs) flawless, not infallible, but true. And so in this series, we're going to look at those five solas because those five solas of the Reformation are the dividing line. It's what sets people apart as terms of Protestant and Catholic. Now, I'm talking about who has the true faith in terms of its biblical teaching. I'm not talking about who's saved or who's going to heaven or not. This isn't a a series where we're going to bash Catholics or anything like that. We're not talking about anybody's salvation or anything like that. We're just talking about truth and error. Should you be Protestant? Do Protestants hold to the biblical truth? That's all we're talking about. And so, this dividing line is what we're going to look at. I want you to know, I want you to know each of these five solas, and I want you to be able to share it to share what they are, to memorize what they are. If I say, what are the five solas? Go. You could tell me. Doesn't have to be in Latin. Sola is a Latin word. You don't have to, you don't have to memorize it in Latin, although that would be impressive. I'll give you extra credit for that. Extra jewel in your crown in heaven or something. I think I can work that out. Okay? But I want you to know what they are. I want you to be able to explain it in a simple way and share it with somebody. And I especially want you to be able to defend it. And point to a Bible verse. I want you to be able to defend it so that you're ready to give an answer if someone challenges you or asks you a question about it. This series, I'm hoping, Lord willing, will be a resource that you can give to people and that you can come back to yourself to learn and study. That's what I'm hoping this series will be. Five, a five-sermon presentation of the dividing line between... Catholicism and the Reformation, and this will tell us why we're Protestant. That's the hope anyways. Lord willing, that's where we're going. This week we begin with the most fundamental of those five solas, sola scriptura, which is Latin for scripture alone. Scripture alone. This sola was practiced by Jesus in principle in the Gospels, and that principle is described to us here in our passage for this morning in 2 Timothy 3, 15, excuse me, 15, 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And so I'm going to read that for us now. This is our text for this morning. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is God's holy word. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. We begin here with this passage from Paul to look at sola scriptura. Sola scriptura means three basic things, each of which we find in this passage. Scripture alone is inspired. Scripture alone is supreme. And Scripture alone is sufficient. Inspired, supreme, and sufficient. Those are our three points today. Let's take a look at those one at a time. Scripture alone is inspired. Paul says in our text in verse 16, this is the way the ESV translates it, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. Now this phrase, breathed out by God, translates one Greek word. And normally, traditionally, that word is translated as inspired. Inspired. But the ESV is, is bringing out the component parts of that word in the original language it was written in, in Greek. And it does mean it's something that is breathed out by God. If, and you can, you can get the idea that Paul's grasping at here if you were to put your hand up to your mouth and just start talking. If it's close enough to your mouth and you just start talking, you can feel your breath on your hand. That's what we mean by God's Word being breathed out. That Scripture is breathed out by God. Inspiration of Scripture means that God exhaled His Word through the words of human beings. Paul is trying to tell us that Scripture is God's very breath. When God speaks, you feel the breath on the hand. You can, you can feel the breath of God, the Spirit of God pulsing through the Scriptures. In Scripture, you can hear the voice of God. Because Scripture is inspired means Scripture is God's voice. It's God speaking to His people. Another classic verse that tells us what inspiration means is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, where Peter says, We know this first of all. We know this first of all. That no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, no part of Scripture is just coming up out of the author as the original source. No human being is the original source of Scripture. Even though human beings are the ones who say that word in normal human languages, in the original languages of Hebrew and Greek... And it's human beings who write those words down in Hebrew and Greek. And they get translated into English. It's God's word in human words. God's word in human form. God's mind and thought in human form. But the human isn't the original or ultimate source of Scripture. Rather, 
There is a divine origin, as Peter goes on to say. Second Peter one twenty one. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that lovely? The Spirit just sort of lifts up the human mind and soul and heart and vocabulary and grammar and syntax and the whole way the Word is formed on the page. The Spirit lifts up the human author and just carries him along so that the author of Scripture is being born up by God and it's God's Spirit or breath that is moving and speaking and circulating through him and producing Scripture. God is the original and ultimate source of what is written in the Bible. So if I were to give you a sort of textbook definition of what inspiration is, I'd say it like this, and this will be on the final exam. Inspiration is the special influence of the Holy Spirit upon the authors of Scripture that causes their words to be the very words of God. Inspiration is the special influence of the Holy Spirit upon the authors of Scripture that causes their words to be the very words of God. It's as if, when you open up your Bible, it's as if God had spoken by the very breath of His own mouth to you. Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. Paul summarizes it this way in another letter in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. It's God's word in human language. It's breathed out by God, and it comes ultimately from Him. It's inspired. And therefore, we can know something additional about this inspired Word. If it's God's Word, if, it's as, if you open the Bible and it's as if God appeared before you and, and quoted the page, if that's what the Bible is, then that means Scripture has the infallible power and ultimate authority of God Himself. Can you imagine a higher authority than God? Can you imagine someone who is less able to make a mistake than God? Can you imagine somebody who is literally unable to make an error, to misinterpret something, to, to be ignorant of some part of reality that if he had just known, he wouldn't have met, slipped up and made that mistake? A God who has all knowledge and all wisdom isn't capable of making an error. It's not possible. So what God says is infallible. It can't be wrong. Not just it doesn't happen to be wrong, but it could have been, you know, good, you know God just lucked out. No, he literally can't make a mistake. And so Scripture has his infallibility because it is his word. And it has his authority because it is His Word, and not ultimately 
the word of Paul or Isaiah or Moses. Because if it was just Paul or Isaiah or Moses, you could say, good, great, who cares? Who's Moses? Who's Moses to tell me what I should think or do? Who's Paul to tell me who I should think or do? Paul's a nobody. Some ancient guy who had an opinion, who wrote a letter. Great. So? Right. Because that's right. Paul's nobody. Moses, nobody. But because they were chosen by God to be the people through whom God spoke, now we're talking about some authority. Because if it's just Paul's word, church is dismissed. Go home. (laughs) Just go. (laughs) Because who cares? But it's not just Paul's word. Yeah, Paul wrote it down. But it's the word of God. It is inspired. And it has his infallibility. And it has his power and authority. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, is the doctrine that Scripture alone is inspired. It really is, it really is that simple. Scripture alone has this quality. Nothing else in reality, nothing else in the universe, nothing else in history has this inspiration. Only Scripture is God-breathed. Only Scripture is God-breathed. Nothing else in the Bible is ever said to be God-breathed. And if anybody says, oh, well, this thing over here is also God-breathed, you have to say, prove it. Because here we have God's Word that says it's God-breathed. But is there proof that anything else is? No. Only Scripture is breathed out by God. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone is inspired. Now, this doesn't mean that God's Word never existed in oral form or in an unwritten form in history. It certainly did in the days of the apostles and prophets, and it was authoritative at that time. Paul says, we just read it, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says, you heard the word of God. That's That's an ear thing, not an eye thing. You read scripture, you hear a word. Paul says, you heard the word from me. So it was, it was spoken at that time. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul tells the Thessalonians that they need to hold fast not just to what is written, but also what Paul said orally. Not everything Paul said to the Thessalonians got written down in First and Second Thessalonians. He says, you need to listen to everything I said, not just what I wrote. All right? So there, were, there was a time when divine revelation was still being given through the apostles, that the apostles had authority both in what they wrote and in what they said. So this, so Sola Scriptura doesn't mean, oh, well, the, the, the people of God have always just read the book and they've never, they've never heard anything. They've never listened to anybody's voice. No, the Word of God was spoken at one time. What we're talking about is now that the time of divine revelation is over and now that the church is past the era of the apostles and prophets... That time is done. There are no apostles and prophets today. What governs the life of the church now? What is the only source of inspired truth that we have? And it's just Scripture. Because all the stuff Paul said orally and verbally to the church in Thessalonica, unless it got written down, we don't know what it is. And if anybody claims to say, oh, we know what Paul taught the Thessalonians. We know all that extra stuff that's not in the Bible. Prove it. Show me. Show me where any of that was written down. And it wasn't. It wasn't preserved in any other form. 
Now, it was important for the Thessalonians to have it then and there. But Paul summarized everything he taught in Scripture. At one time, when divine revelation was being given, the Word of God could be spoken and it could be written. But after that period, now in the life of the church, the only access we have to a source of inspired truth is in Scripture. So the Scripture also doesn't mean that Scripture alone contains all knowledge and all information and all truth you could ever know or believe, as though you couldn't learn anything from some other source. <laughs> you can't go to the Bible and learn quantum mechanics. I wouldn't go to the Bible to learn how to download the latest app on my phone. It just it, it doesn't talk about it. It wouldn't know what a phone is. So the Bible doesn't contain all knowledge you could ever know. It's not the only place you could learn something that's true. The point is, Scripture alone is the on, not the only source of truth, but it's the only inspired source of original divine revelation. And it's the only infallible source for our faith and life as Christians in the church now that the period of revelation is over. Scripture alone is our only inspired source of infallible divine revelation. That's what it means that the Bible is inspired. No other source is like it. Number two, Scripture alone is supreme. Paul goes on and says that Scripture is profitable in our text. Look what he says, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable, useful, good for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Before that, in verse 15, he told Timothy that the sacred writings, the scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So, scripture is useful, it's good for telling us these five things. How to be saved, correct doctrine, teaching, to get rebuked when we're living wrong, to get corrected when we're thinking wrong, and to be trained in righteousness. That's the whole Christian life, guys. That's, that's start to finish. How to get saved, how, what the truth is, to correct our errors, to reprove us when we're misbehaving and disobeying, and then to train us how to live a righteous life. That's what Scripture is good for. That's what God appointed it for. That's what God designed it to do. Tell us how to be saved and to tell us how to live the Christian life. What we should believe and what we should do. That's what Scripture principally teaches. Westminster Shorter Catechism. What do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. What we should believe and what we should do. That's what Paul's talking about. Scripture is good to do all those things. Scripture is able to do all of those things. And because Scripture alone is inspired, and because Scripture alone is infallible at the very, as the very Word of God Himself, no other authority can ever be equal to Scripture. 
So when it comes to these five areas in 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, Scripture is our highest, final authority. Scripture is our supreme rule of faith. Scripture always does the teaching. No one ever teaches the Scripture. Scripture always does the correcting. No one ever corrects the Scripture. Scripture always does the reproving. Scripture always does the training. Nobody teaches or trains or approves or corrects the Bible. It always goes the other direction. Scripture is supreme. Jesus taught this same thing. We don't have time to look at it in detail, but study Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, and you'll see Jesus operate on this principle. In that passage, he does not condemn all traditions in general, but what he does is this. He says all tradition is condemned that either conflicts with Scripture or competes with Scripture as God's Word and as the final authority. Any tradition, any book, any person, any council of the church, anything that conflicts with the Bible and anything that tries to compete with the Bible must be in error. Scripture always stands over us and over the church to correct, to teach, to reprove, to rebuke, and to train the church. The church is the bride of Christ, and it listens to the voice of Christ. It never tells Christ anything but, yes, Lord. And where do we hear the voice of Christ directing His church? We hear it in God-inspired Scripture. Not one word that Jesus ever said outside of the Bible has been recorded and preserved for us. Not one word of an apostle has ever been written down and preserved for us. Everything that Jesus said and taught and everything that the apostles said and taught that God wanted us to have for the life of the church is in Scripture. Nothing else, Jesus says, can compete with written Scripture. Now, of course, this doesn't mean there's no other authorities in the church. Doesn't mean that there's, okay, we don't need pastors and we don't need church government and we don't need confessions of faith and catechisms and all that. We just don't need them. All we need is the Bible. Just me and my Bible under a tree. That's all I need. Or us and a Bible and no church history and no other teachers and no pastors and no books and no theology. Just, just the Bible. That's it. Sometimes that's what people think sola scriptura means that it's just you and your Bible and no help from anybody else. And that's not what it means. God gave the Bible to the church, and God has been teaching and helping the church by the Holy Spirit to interpret and understand and live and preach and apply the Bible for 2,000 years. And that history is important, but that history is not infallible. And that history is not divine revelation. And that history and that tradition is not God-breathed. Only Scripture is. So we learn from it, we benefit from it. We have a Westminster Confession of Faith that we, that we love and read and study and follow because we think it summarizes the Bible accurately. But if anybody says, look, the Westminster Confession says this, John Calvin says this, or you know, your Presbyterian theology book that's 8,000 pages, it says this, but look at this Bible verse, it contradicts the Bible. Well, then that, well, then okay, 8,000 pages have to go because there's no competition with Scripture. Scripture always stands over us to correct us and to teach us when we're in error and to set us straight when we disobey. That's what Jesus told us to do with anybody who claims an authoritative tradition that's outside Scripture.
We have other authorities and other rules of faith, but Scripture is supreme. No other authority can conflict with Scripture or compete with Scripture. And that's what sola scriptura means. Scripture alone is inspired. Scripture alone is and therefore infallible. And Scripture alone is supreme. Third and finally, Scripture alone is sufficient. Look at verse 17. Paul says, Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for these four things. So that, verse 17, or with the result that, resulting in the following state of affairs, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now here, the man of God is a designation that's used a lot in the Old Testament, especially in Ezekiel, and it refers to God's spokesman. The man of God is God's spokesman, the person who is put in place to speak God's word in an authoritative way. That's who Timothy is. He's the man of God in the local church. He's the man of God in the church of God. And Paul says, when you have Scripture, Timothy, you are complete. You are fully equipped. You are totally furnished with all you need for every good work in the church. And therefore, your people that you preach this word to, they will be fully equipped. And they will be complete for every good work as well. If you just take this word and you use it for the purpose that God sent it. Remember Isaiah 55, God watches over his word to make sure it accomplishes the purpose he designed for it. And this is what God intended scripture to do, to make us wise for salvation, to teach, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the pastor, the man of God, is fully equipped to fulfill his ministry, and that the people under his ministry will therefore be fully equipped as well with everything that they need. Scripture is sufficient It's enough. When you have the Bible, you have all the essentials. You have everything essential that you need. Again, it doesn't mean there's no church and there's no pastors and there's no history and there's no tradition. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that over it all is Scripture. Only Scripture is inspired. Only Scripture is supreme. It's our final authority in everything we believe and do. Not our only, but our final, our ultimate And Scripture is sufficient to teach us how to be saved and how to live the Christian life, to tell us what God wants us to believe and to tell us what God wants us to do. It doesn't mean there's no need for discipleship and teaching and theology books and scholarship. It doesn't mean that you don't need someone to help you understand the Scriptures. My goodness, Peter himself says in 2 Peter that some things in Paul's letters are hard to understand. (laughs) <laughs> and apostles, like, I've read, I've, I've read Paul's letters, and half the time I'm like, what is this guy on about? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what half that verse means. I don't know what that part means. Peter was a little baffled by it, too. So don't be discouraged if you don't understand some stuff in Paul's letters. I don't either. <laughs> Nine years in the seminary, and I still don't have it. Peter was an apostle of Jesus, knew Paul face to face. He didn't always understand Paul either. It doesn't mean every verse is perfectly clear and there's no no need for a church to help you interpret, no need for a pastor to help you interpret and help you apply it. Of course, Scripture is, this is a big book. There's a lot of stuff in here. Mine's double column and it's over, it's like 1,800 pages double columned. It's a lot of Bible. No one can know it all. No one can learn it all. No one can get it all right. And you don't have to. You're not expected to. 
Sola Scriptura doesn't mean that the meaning is just obvious right there on the face and just, you know, just you and your Bible is all you need. That's not it. We still need the Holy Spirit. We still need the church. We still need pastors and teachers. We still need discipleship. We still need older, mature believers in the faith. We still need to learn and grow and sharpen each other. But the point is, Scripture is sufficient for all that stuff. Timothy, as the man of God in the church of God, and Timothy's congregation under his care, they are fully equipped with all they need when all they have is the Bible. Everything else is supposed to supplement and help and assist the Bible, never take the place of the Bible. As though, oh, well, if you don't have this extra thing that's not biblical, then you're missing out on an essential part of Christianity. That's not what Paul said. If Paul believed that, he would have told Timothy, now here's the scriptures, but you need this other stuff too. He didn't say that. He said, Timothy, when you have scripture, you have enough. Scripture alone is inspired. Scripture alone is supreme. And scripture alone is sufficient. And all the other stuff, as good as it is, and as necessary as it is, and as biblical as it is, never takes the place of Scripture. It never rises to the level of Scripture. It never takes the place. Everything essential, Christian, be encouraged today. Everything essential for your salvation, for your faith, for your life, and for your godliness is in your Bible. It's in your Bible. When you have your Bible... And when you're in a church that believes it and teaches it and lives it, you are fully equipped with all that you need. In 2 Timothy, Paul is about to die. He's in prison. It's his last word to his apprentice, Timothy. This is, this is, these are Paul's dying words to Timothy. It's the last thing he says to Timothy. And he says, here is God's word, Timothy. And when you have this, you are complete. You are fully equipped. You are sufficiently supplied to fulfill your ministry. And in chapter 4, he tells him, preach that word, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine. And having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If Paul believed Timothy needed anything outside and apart from or above Scripture to fulfill his ministry, this was the time to say it right before he goes to be martyred. But what he leaves Timothy with is the word of God of inspired scripture. Paul did for Timothy just what he did in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, when we, what we read earlier in our New Testament reading. 
Paul is looking at the elders, the session of the, uh, of the church in Ephesus, and he's about to leave. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested and sent off to Rome and martyred. He knows he's never going to see him again, and he says, guys, fierce wolves are coming. Hard times are coming. Deception and false teaching and people who want to twist the faith and twist the scriptures are coming. People in your own ranks on your own session might even rise up in opposition and be led away into falsehoods and and false teaching. But you guys are to take care and look to yourselves, band together. You're never going to see me again, so here's what I leave you with. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I leave you with the word of God. I leave you with holy scripture. And that's what I do for you today, brothers and sisters. Not that these are my dying words, Lord willing. God forbid. I'd like to at least finish the series. (laughs) I commend each of you to God and to the word of his grace. I commend you today to holy scripture, for it is given by inspiration of God. Scripture alone, dear dear brother and sister, scripture alone is inspired. Scripture alone is supreme, and scripture alone is sufficient. When you have God's word, you have all you need. Sola scriptura. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking your word to us. Thank you for giving us your holy scripture. And I pray that you would increase our love for your word. That you would give us a hunger and a thirst after more of scripture. That we would be people who love the Bible. People who trust in this word. People who understand what it is. Help us to remember what sola scriptura really is. And to see how biblical it is. To see the verses of scripture where it comes from. To see this is a teaching of the apostles and of Jesus. Help us to see these things and to celebrate our inheritance as Protestants. To be thankful that you helped the church recover this truth. That you gave the Bible back to us. And that you've provided it for us in our own language. So we can open it every single day. And we can see your word. We can read it. And we can hear you speaking. Give us a love for the God-breathed, sufficient, supreme scriptures that you've given us and help us to treasure our Bibles and to believe them because they come from you, not from us, not from any human. This is your truth and your word. So help us to believe it, love it, and defend it. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.